Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We're today in Lesson 96. And last time we're in Chapter uh, 10 of 1 Corinthians and in verse 12, where we ended up by uh, saying, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And the comments that we were making at the time was about the fact that when God is going to come back, that is, the one who is the Savior of Israel, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that walked with them and talked with them, that is the, the direct deity that dealt with mankind from the beginning of time, being sent by his father, the one that became his father later on, who is El Elyon, and the end of the plan on the first stage basis, anyway, at his coming, he is going to bring all of Israel from all the corners of the earth, and he's going to bring them back to the land of glory, he's going to say save the tents of Judah first, pouring the spirit of grace and supplication on them, opening their eyes, removing the veil, and all the rest of the children of Israel is going to make a new covenant with all of them, and he's going to write his laws in their hearts, and this is going to be a marriage covenant, and all those who are going to be resurrected at his coming, when they're going to rise up and meet him in the clouds, all of them will descend, and the marriage will be with the entirety of the house of Israel, the spiritual, those who are going to be spirit beings that had lived the spiritual life from the days that God created them from their righteous Abel and walked with them and put his laws in their hearts and minds and put his spirit in them to the time that he comes. And also, as well, those that he grafted. And to begin with, many of those uh, that lived before Abraham were not even Israelites. So you can see the grafting into the commonwealth of Israel, into Israel, has been there even before there was, or prior before that is prior to the existence of Israel and throughout the history of Israel also. But some of them will be spirit beings and the majority will be physical who are not going to receive the Holy Spirit and yet the marriage is going to be with all of them. And the prophets make it very, made it very plain and God made it very plain. That's the way it's going to be. And in the New Testament, the so-called New Testament, Jesus Christ made it very plain. That's the way it's going to be. And yet people, not having context, not having background, not reading the whole story, did not really understand what Christ was talking about. Did not even know what the bride is. Thinking they do know what the bride is, they did not know what the bride is. They did not consider all the statements. Maybe the Apostle Paul is making very plain. When God is going to save all of Israel, is going to make a new covenant, quoting Jeremiah, with the whole house of Israel and the house of Judah. Commonwealth of Israel, and a few grafted into them. And so he's going to make a covenant not only with those who are going to be resurrected to eternal life as spirit beings, but with the entirety of the house of Israel that are still flesh and blood. And it's not something new, has been there all the time, but when the eyes are blind, when people don't see and understand, when the teachers themselves are confused, they think that they, they know that considering the entirety of the story, well, they too get confused and don't teach properly. And what do the brethren do under these circumstances? Well, they get mixed up too. And that's not the entirety of the story. That's not the end of the story even then. Because a thousand years later, God is going to resurrect all those who ever lived of the house of Israel, as well as all the nations. But the emphasis is on the house of Israel first. And with them also is going to make the new covenant. So that's a secondary part of the marriage. Some people don't understand it because we compare it to a physical marriage. And in analogies that God gives us, we have to realize there is a limit to it. You cannot stretch it all the way to the end. 
There is a limit. There is a point at which it breaks down if you go beyond that point, and people don't understand it. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, he made a marriage covenant with them. But that whole generation died. So what does that mean? The wife died and that's it? That's the end of the story? Of course not. Their children continued the marriage. And so Moses made a new covenant with them. As he told them. And he's making a new covenant with them. With the second generation. That's why they're rehearsing in the book of Deuteronomy the whole, the whole story of Israel. And the law also that was repeated again, the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses to give to Israel, that he gave uh, previously in person by speaking to Israel. And so you see, two generations are going through the same ceremony. The first one, yes, was present at the wedding ceremony, and the second generation where the covenant was made with them, the marriage covenant that is renewed with them, was not present. At that point, because God was not descending all over again Mount Sinai and going through the same process, and, and Moses is not uh, uh, offering a sacrifice and sanctifying that, uh, that covenant with blood, ratifying it with blood, but nevertheless, the renewal of the covenant is made the second generation. As a matter of fact, every time Israel departed from God when they were brought back, that covenant of marriage was being renewed. Just like human beings do now and then, you know, on the 25th anniversary, some do it on the 10th anniversary, and then on the 15th anniversary, they make a renewal of the vows. That's what it means, renewal of the covenant. And so, even in human affairs, we have an example of that, and we, can, we should understand it. And that's what God is saying. And that's what Paul is, is uh, also teaching them, and that's what all the prophets did, and people don't understand it. Anyway, let's continue. Now, with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we read in verses 1 and 2, now concerning spiritual gifts, uh, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant, again, because of the fact that the Gentiles that he's speaking to, and obviously they were Jews there also, but that they were not ignorant, they had better understanding, having a background of the whole context of the story from Genesis to that point, and so, it's for the Gentiles, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Any time he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, that means you are. But I don't want you to be, because you shouldn't be. God's people should not be ignorant. And that's why God commands us, grow in grace, and knowledge, and understanding, because you are not there yet. And when you grow in knowledge and understanding, you realize that you may have made major mistakes sometimes, maybe minor, maybe major, in certain uh, understanding that you had before in matters of theology and the knowledge of God thinking that you know it all and that's the purpose for it and so he says I don't want you to be ignorant and you know that you were think about it you were Gentiles now if you were that means now you are not he says I don't want you to be ignorant of that understand what's happening here now you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols however you were led therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God or spirit of Elohim calls Jesus accursed and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit and so speaking to the Gentiles who used to be Gentiles and now since God circumcised their heart by faith, and they were now obedient 
to the laws that were given to Israel, and therefore partakers of the same covenant, and the promises of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that were given to them because they obeyed, not because they disobeyed, and so it was given to Israel on the condition, if you obey my statutes, my commandments, my judgments, my precepts and testimonies and so forth, then you will be a royal priesthood, a chosen generation to me. And so it has been taught also to these Gentiles. And when they accepted the conditions of the marriage, where the laws of God were now going to be written in their hearts, and they certainly didn't have the attitude of the law is done away with, it's the ignoramuses that came later on, other Gentiles by the many, who were not taught by teachers who were ignorant themselves, that these are the conditions of the marriage, of the relationship with God. And therefore, they went astray, believing that you can follow Christ, you can accept Christ, and you can, at the same time, disobey His law. That is the way it has been taught. And of course, these were all lies, and they are the ones that formed the, 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 the counterfeit church, the false church. But as for these people in the days of Paul, he taught them the law of God, all of it that was applicable to them. It's not just few things that were mentioned in... Uh, in the book of Acts chapter 15 regarding the circumcision. It's the entirety of the body of the law of God that was applicable to all mankind. That includes the Sabbath and the holy days and the statutes and the judgments and the precepts and everything that God gave Moses. Things that have nothing to do with the existence of a temple, whether it exists or not. And then other things that people can obey uh, even regarding the temple but can still be obeyed and the spirit. And so, that's what he's saying to them. You were Gentiles. You are no longer Gentiles. And what are they now? They are not Gentiles now. Well, they are members of the commonwealth of Israel. So now they are Israelites. And uh, then we'll get back later on to Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and verse 11 to 19 where he repeats the same thing with the Ephesian church. And so he did with all the Gentile churches that used to be Gentiles and now became, became commonwealth of Israel. You see? Because it's only through Israel that you can come to God because that's the way God made it. Israel is the mother, the firstborn. Just like we come to God through the firstborn who is Jesus Christ, so does the whole world come to God through the firstborn who is Israel. And the God of Israel who is the firstborn of all many brethren. And that's the method that God had chosen. And all the disciples were children of the firstborn of Israel. And it's through them that people come to God. It's not that man is intermediary in the sense that Jesus Christ is, but God calls Israel to be a light to the nations, to be the teachers. And so, they are in essence, as the wife of God, they too are partakers of the teachings of the children. Just like the father, so does the wife. Now let's go to 2 Corinthians, verse, uh, chapter 11, and continue the story there, where we read more about the subject in chapter 11 and verse 2. We read something that has been totally misunderstood by those who have no background, no comprehension, did not know the whole story, and invented new doctrines and spoke eloquently about it and talked so much about it, and to this very day many in our midst who think they know better and they don't, are confused by these teachings that came not from God, but the interpretations that came from the counterfeit church and were accepted by all to mean 
that this is what it means, but it doesn't if you don't consider the entirety of the matter. And so, in chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, in verse 2, we read, well, in verse 1, uh, he says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. In other words, listen to what I have to say, even though it might sound a little bit foolish to you. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. That's why God is jealous over his wife and does not want others to come in between. So are his servants to be the same. To protect the church of God and not allow others uh, to come in between and defile the bride with false teachings. And that's what he's telling them. I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. It's not that he, you know, uh, that he wants them to, to himself to be his own followers for his own benefit to make merchandise of them as the manner of many leaders is. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the godly jealousy, where God is jealous over his bride, over his wife. Just like any man who loves his wife, he's jealous over her. He doesn't want any other man, hey, you know, messing around with his wife. And so it is here, that's what he's talking about. For he says, for I have betrothed you to one husband. You see? And from the beginning of time, all those who have been called to walk with God are being betrothed to him. And the church is in the formation since the days of Abel to the end of the plan of God at the second resurrection. It's an ongoing process. And that's what he's doing in his generation at that time. That's what he's saying. That when I bring you to the knowledge of God and teach you the ways of God and the laws of God and the commandments of God and become members of the commonwealth of Israel, which is, which is the wife of God, the wife-to-be, the bride of God, so you too. You are being betrothed to God. And so that's what he's saying. I have betrothed you to one husband, the God of Israel. Because you, you are not members of the wife, of the commonwealth of Israel, the wife-to-be, that is. But a wife and a bride are considered the same, a wife. That I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He's the husband of Israel, the God of Israel, the one that is saved. Behold, the days will come when I'm going to bring back all the house of Israel and the house of Judah, the entirety of the twelve tribes, and make a marriage covenant with them and marry them. This is the subject. That's what he's talking about. And if you don't know the background and you don't know the context, you don't know what you're reading. And you see, the counterfeit church and the ministers of the counterfeit church, as Paul John will say, you know, they're all ministers, appear to be as ministers of righteousness, but they are not because they're God, the devil, appears as an angel of light and he has ministers and they appear as ministers of righteousness and so they open this passage like many other passages and preach from it very eloquently and deceive people and that's what Christ said many will come in my name they're going to teach many of those things that I said and that my disciples said and my, that my prophets said that I said to them and inspired them and they're going to deceive many why? because of themselves they are deceived not because necessarily they're malicious people but they're not prophets of God. They're not servants of God. God didn't call them. He didn't send them. He doesn't call ministers through a false church, through a counterfeit church, through a disobedient church that claims the law is done away with. He doesn't deal with them. And even though they may be obedient to him in certain matters because they believe it and understand it, being innocent, that's all they know. They're not his servants. They're not his ministers. They're their own ministers. And so that's what he says. I betroth, betroth you uh, that I may present you uh, as a chaste virgin to Christ. 
among all the other commonwealth of Israel who are still coming back. Because God is not finished with the story yet. That's what he's talking about here. But I feel that somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And what is the simplicity that is in Christ? He came down to Mount Sinai, gave Israel a law, told them that's the way to me. If you obey those laws which are the laws of the covenant, you will be my wife. But what is it that Israel has done since that time? Constant rebellion against the law of God. And this is what these Gentiles, who are now members of the commonwealth of Israel, were being also taught by false ministers at the time that were rising from their midst. Grievous wolves. And that's why he said the mystery of iniquity does already work, because he saw them already at work. Because the devil is always busy bringing the tares and planting them within the body of Christ at any given generation. Why? To corrupt the others, to lead them into rebellion against God, against his law. That's how you rebel against God. And that's what he's saying about them. I fear, lest somehow, you see, what happened to Adam and Eve? They rebelled against the commandments of God. And that's exactly what he's talking about. And others came and finally overcame. Overcame the body of Christ. Why? Because God allowed it. Because that was the time of the Gentile. But the faithful, the obedient, remained obedient unto death. But they became a minority. So very few that the world totally forgot about them. And yet they continued. Because the gates of the grave could never prevail against the followers of Christ. Against the people of God. Who continued regardless of the fact that history does not even record them as being the people of God because they believe the great lies of the counterfeit church that it is the true church of God. And so it is to this very day. There are only very few who are of God and all the rest, the many, as Christ said, the many that follow the preachers that come in his name and deceive many, they are not of him. It's as simple as that. And so that's what he's telling them. And people have to be aware of that. Because God is the God of Israel, is the husband of Israel, and the only way that marriage can function is by obedience to the covenant of marriage. And when Israel is not obedient to it, well, they get corrupted and polluted and defiled, and that's exactly what he was saying to the Gentiles here. I'm afraid that this is what's happening with you. You're believing lies. That the law is done away with. You don't have to live by the law of God. Just live by grace. Live by faith. You can sin all you want. The grace of God will take care of that. And that's what he was battling throughout the entirety of his ministry. With those who were deceiving the people of God. You know, especially the Gentiles that were being called and still not fully grounded on the law of God, on the Torah of God, not fully comprehending, you know, the whole plan of salvation, not fully grounded on the Torah, on the prophets, on the writings that give you the entirety of the whole story, which the disciples and Christ to begin with came to magnify and give you more details about it, not do away with it. As Christ told the entirety of his people, don't think that I came to do away with the Torah or the prophets, and he caused it to be recorded also for the entirety of mankind for the next 2,000 years, not only to his own generation, knowing that this is exactly what people are going to say. Therefore, he told his disciples later on, Matthew 24, be careful, many are going to come in my name and deceive you. He's not speaking specifically about his own disciples, they knew better. But the generations to come, his own disciples, until the day he comes back. He says, be careful of those kind of people. 
And they certainly teach an awful lot about Christ, but then they teach also lies with it. And what good is it for you when you're very thirsty and somebody gives you a glass of water, crystal clear water, you know, very sweet, and he puts a bunch, well, you know, many drops of poison in it. Well, you say, well, the water was good, great, and all that, and then you die. That's exactly what's happening with these people. And people are not aware of it until it's too late sometimes. And that's exactly what Paul is warning them. And uh, let's continue now with in verse uh, 22, where he's speaking about others who are coming deceiving them. And sometimes there were Jews, and sometimes there were Gentiles. And as time went by, since the church, so-called the church, which was not really truly the church, it's just the many that were coming that were not granted on the lawn, couldn't care less about it, didn't care much about it, and then became the majority, and they thought of them, themselves as the church. And so then the deceivers, the majority of them became non-Israelites. But some of them were also Israelites. And so he's talking about them. People were deceiving his own people at the time. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And the problem that he's dealing with, that some Jews not fully converted, as it should have been, did not fully comprehend and understand what the apostles decided with the circumcision and certain of the laws that is part of the Torah that is not applicable to the Gentiles, and they continued to deceive people in that direction, never giving up on that. Uh, that was a particular problem at the time, and after that became something totally different, where the Gentiles, uh, among them, the grievous wolves, came and told something totally different. Other things. The law is done away with, and uh, so forth. At this point, he's, he's dealing with this, uh, with these deceivers. And so, this is what he's, he's telling them. Uh, be careful of deceivers from either side, either from the Jewish side or the Gentile side. And don't be, you know, don't uh, follow that. I mean, follow the truth, follow the law of God. If it teaches the law of God, the Torah of God, the prophets and all that, fine. But if they go to rabbinic teaching, which is contrary to the law, there are many rabbinic teachings which were not contrary to the law. They were in accordance with the law of God. And some ignorant, you know, lump the whole thing all together. And their igno you know, ignorance, they go from one extreme to the other. And forgetting what Christ told his disciples, the Pharisees, the rabbis, the scribes. They sit on the seat of Moses. Therefore, whatever they teach you which is in accordance with the law of God, with the law of Moses, the teachings of Moses and the prophets, you see, and many of those things need, needed to be explained and interpreted in, in the right way in accordance with the law of God, and that was also part of the rabbinic teaching. There was nothing wrong with it. He himself followed many of those things. He sanctioned many of those things. The disciples walked in them. You know, they would call them, uh, some of them were traditions of the Jews. Some were good, some were not. You know, that uh, the wise must be able to discern between the right and the wrong, not throw the whole thing out. That's exactly what the Gentiles have done. Because they were taught that the rabbis were teaching things that they should not obey, they threw the whole thing out. You can go from one extreme to the other. And so he warned them of that. Not to follow the teachings which are not of God, but if they are of God, follow them. And this, in this case in particular, he's dealing with the teachings that were not of God, that were man-made doctrines of men which were not commandments of God. And so this is what he's telling them about it. Be aware of those things. Let's go now to uh, the book of Galatians, chapter 2, uh, where we read in uh, verse 6, 
before that he's telling them that the fact that he, he, he was with Christ and Christ taught him uh, personally and he had revelations from God himself, from Jesus Christ that is, and this is what he taught the brethren. And then he went up to Jerusalem to uh, make sure that everything is in accordance with the teachings of God, with the law, with the, with the statutes and judgments and ordinances, with the teachings of the prophets, with the teachings of Moses, with the teachings that Christ magnified uh, personally to the disciples. I mean, he was not deviating from that. He was in accordance with that. He was not an inventor of new religion. He was not the founder of Christianity, as the liars that came later on began to teach, and people believed it, and some people too believe in, a, you know, to this very day. In our midst, too, but should know better. In verse 6 it says, But from those who seem to be something, that is, the leaders that were in Jerusalem, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. In other words, it's the teachings of God that, you know, matter. You know, in the past several decades, many of us have experienced that, that very statement that always was being repeated. It's not what God said. It's not what the Bible says. What does the church teach about it? What difference does it make what the church teaches about it if it's not of God? But if it is of God, then what God teaches, not what the church teaches. And that's exactly what was happening here, and that's what he's saying here. Whatever they were, it doesn't make any difference to me. I don't go by what the church teaches. I go by what God said. Because the church is made of human beings, and they can be right and they can be wrong. And the ultimate criteria for truth is God, not men, not even his own church. That's how people fall, asleep, fall away and go astray and follow the leaders all the way to the grave. And God warned us against it. Prove all things. You don't go by what the church says, you go by what God said. And if the church is in accordance with God, fine. But if it is not, beware. Where are you going to end up? If they are in the light, fine. You'll end up in the light, but if they're in darkness, your shepherds are in darkness, where do you end up? You follow the blind, you fall into the same ditch. And that's what he's saying here. That's a principle. It doesn't make any difference who the leaders are. What you want to know is, do they follow God? Do they teach the words of God? Or their own things? That's the problem with the rabbis. They were following God to a degree, and then deviating and going their own way. And the Jews had to make a choice. The Jews that became now members of the body of Christ. How far to follow the rabbis? At what point to say no and to follow God? And that's what Peter said. We must obey God rather than men. But, you know, when men is right, fine, no problem. That's what he's saying here. And so he says, God shows no personal favoritism to no man, to no leader. And he's speaking about the top leaders, James and John and Peter and all those people. And that's a principle that all of us should have followed all along. And to this very day, we should. And if we are not, we should. And so he says, God shows no personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added, nothing to me. You see, to begin with, Paul was highly educated in the law of God, in the teachings of God, in the prophets. He was not a beginner. And then he had the personal walk with Christ. Well, for three and a half years, he was taught by him personally as I mentioned earlier in the chapter. So I didn't uh, need to go to them uh, to add to him, but at the same time, he was a humble person, and he wanted to coordinate with them and make sure that everything they teach is the same. So he doesn't do it in vain. And that's what he said. Uh, in verse 2, And I went up by revelation and communicated to them uh, that gospel which I preach, I mean, that is the tidings which I preach among the Gentiles, in other words, to see if that's in accordance with the, what the prophets taught, with what Moses taught, with what Christ taught, and by privately 
to those who were of reputation, speaking by the leaders, that's what he did, why? Lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. So he wanted to make sure that everything is exactly uh, according to the teachings of God. Not a teaching of the church, but the teachings of God. And all those were men of wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. And that's what he's talking about here. And so in verse 7 he says, But on the contrary, when they saw that the tidings for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the tidings for the circumcised was to Peter, and people forget that, they read it, it goes over their head, they don't understand it, that Peter was not sent to the Gentiles, he was sent to Israel. And so when he comes to the book of Peter and read his writings, he's not writing it to the Gentiles, he's writing it to the children of Israel. And of course, since they lived among the Gentiles, and there were Gentiles among them, they too, if they came to the house of worship where the Israelites were, they too learned from it. And so some of them also were being converted. But when he says to them in the, in the book of Peter later on, in chapter 2 and verse 9, I believe you are a royal generation, a holy priesthood and all that, he's speaking to the children of Israel. And some people in their ignorance, not knowing the context and the background, think, aha, well in the old days God told Israel, you are the royal you know, generation, holy priesthood, but now he told us the church. You see, they don't understand it, that he's speaking to the same people. Only now he's speaking to the people who are Israelites and are responding to the call of God, to the teachings of God, and obedient to it, and receiving the Holy Spirit. And that's what God told them to begin with. If you are obedient to my laws and commandments, then you will be a holy priesthood. And because they were not, they were told, you are not my people. But now that some of them are returning to the faith, and obeying God, and are Israelites, and are members of the commonwealth of Israel, and they are the natural branches, therefore God tells them through Peter, what he told them in Sinai. Now you are royal priesthood, because now you are obeying the conditions. And so this verse here is very pivotal, and very important to remember, so you can understand when you come to the writings of Peter, what he's talking about, and to whom he's speaking. That's the identity of the church, of God, children of Israel, the commonwealth of Israel, and the few that God grafted with them. And so he said, they understood it, that the tidings to the Gentiles, to the nations, were was given to me, so God can bring some more of the Gentiles to make his own people envious and jealous, so they would return to him. That was the purpose of it. Not because he was forsaking Israel and saying, forget all about you, and I'm not going to raise a new church made of all the nations of the earth. Otherwise, I'm going to have a wife made of all nations of the earth, and he hasn't said that. He never taught that. Apostles never taught that. And verse 8, For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, you see, only to the circumcised, generally speaking, worked effectively in me toward the nations, toward the Gentiles. And Paul makes it very plain, and people don't understand it, unfortunately. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be pillars, so speaking about the disciples, or the apostles now, the, you know, the leaders of the church, in Jerusalem, that is the congregation in Jerusalem, the church is the entirety of the house of Israel. That's what we have to understand with the church is the entirety of the house of Israel. From the days of Moses, from the days of Jacob, from the days they were Israelites, to the second resurrection. And also are being gra those few individuals who are being grafted into them. That's the entirety of the church. So when everybody says we are the church of God, you have to understand what you are talking about. Everybody thinks he's the true church. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go, we 
should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. How many people pay attention to this message? The counterfeit church certainly didn't. And so then they go later on to the writings of Peter, the writings of John, the writings of, uh, of James and Jude and think that it's all speaking to the Gentiles. And it's not. They were sent to the circumcised. They were sent to the children of Israel. All the house of Judah and all the house of Israel. Twelve tribes of Israel. James makes very plain. He's sending the message and he's beginning with the first statement to the twelve tribes of Israel. And Peter writes to those in the diaspora, the strangers. That's a term that was given to the children of Israel that were taken away from their land. The exiles. And people don't read it and don't understand it. And therefore when they read all those messages in all those journal epistles, they don't understand what they what he's talking about and to whom and what's the basis of it. And they don't get it when John constantly speaks about the law, obedient to the law. He that says that I know God and does not obey his commandment is a liar. They don't understand what he's talking about. And so they went astray because of that. And so in verse 10, they decide only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. You know, that was very much on their mind because Christ taught them all the time that apart from obedience to God and obedience to the laws that govern your relationship with your fellow man, always remember the disadvantage in the society. You know, the poor, the needy. Uh, care for them all the time. Care for the strangers. In verse 11, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I stood him to his face because he was to be blamed. These are children of Israel. And so when Antioch came to a congregation that was made of both circumcised and uncircumcised, and that's the reason why he came there. Had there been only uncircumcised, he wouldn't go there because that was the territory of Paul. But because there were also many Jews there, therefore he went there. That was his commission to the circumcision. And for verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he would eat with Gentiles. You know, there was nothing wrong with that. He knew they are now all Israelites, and not circumcised, but they are Israelites in spirit. They're obedient to the law of God, to the teachings of Moses and and the prophets, and Jesus Christ, with the exceptions of things that mattered only when you are in the temple or you go to the temple. And for that matter, many Jews were not even keeping them because they were not going to the temple. And, uh, but when they came, he withdrew. That is, when the brethren came from James, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Because obviously the Jews had a difficult time being weaned out of this concept that they had in the past that Israel is only Israel, no Gentiles. And if Gentiles are to be of Israel, they have to be totally like Israel, and they still went back to the same argument and issue. Which, is, which of, the, of the Torah, which uh, of the laws of God are applicable to the Gentiles, and which are not? And the temple rituals were not applicable to the Gentiles. And so those who were not uh, following those teachings, the Jews who were still very deep, in uh, the old teachings, which were biblical, they were not unbiblical, uh, regarded them to be unclean, and therefore they would not eat with them. That's what Peter earlier said to Cornelius, you know, that it is against the law for a Jew to sit with a Gentile and eat with him, you know, being unclean. That's why God had to tell him, don't call any man unclean that I clean by faith. You see? So the same problem continues here, and Peter, unfortunately, is not totally over it himself, uh, at least when it comes to the other brethren. Uh, he himself didn't have a problem sitting with them, but politics 
plays here, unfortunately, a role, and it shouldn't be among the people of God. And so he says, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. That's exactly what they were doing. So that even Barnabas was carried away with a hypocrisy, because they knew that's not right. And yet, you see, sometimes among the people of God, that's the way it goes, until they are able to overcome that. And at this point, many of the Jews were not able to overcome that yet. Did not have full comprehension yet. But, repentance is a process. Growth is a process. Overcoming is a process. So God is patient with them. Doesn't expect anybody to be perfect on the same day. You know, on the first day. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. So when you see hypocrisy among the people of God, don't think they're not converted. Just realize, it's a process to come out of it. And don't condemn people. But wait. Wait for Christ to finish the job. Then you can render a verdict. At the end of the story, to begin with, it belongs to God. And that's why Paul in other places would say, it's not up to you to judge, and yet in other matters you can judge. It depends what. And so in verse 14 it says, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth, all the tidings, that is, that God is also calling the Gentiles, and is sanctifying, sanctifying them by faith, Yes, putting the law in their hearts and minds, just like he's doing it with Israel, yet certain aspects of it is not requiring them to do. You see? Yeah, there was a division, after all, between the two segments here, uh, between the house of Israel, which were the majority of the church, and then the Gentiles that God was calling that were the minority. And yet he accepted, accepted all of them, just like he accepted Abraham. And they were now in the category of Abraham. And you cannot say that Abraham was not a faithful man of God. And so that's what he's saying to them. He's speaking to Peter. And I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles, and not as the Jews. In other words, you do not follow anymore the teachings of the rabbis that were not from God, that told us we cannot eat with the Gentile. And many other things. So you don't do it anymore because you understand better. Some commandments you can follow. Some teachings of the rabbis you can follow. Others, you know, they're not of God. And so you do away with those things. And so, so you don't live in that manner. And so he says, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles, it doesn't mean that you forsook the law. They're ignorant, misunderstand that. They don't know what he's talking about here. And not as the Jews. Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? In other words, all those do's and don'ts that were of the rabbis and not of God. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, that's the terminology they gave to the, to the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. And he's not talking about the statutes and judgments and precepts of God is speaking about rituals, is speaking about matters that had to do with the temple, purification, things like that. That's also a part of the Torah that were applicable to those who were obedient to the faith until Jesus Christ came and gave them the Holy Spirit, so now they can obey it in the Spirit. So it says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. This is not what justifies a man, but by faith in Jesus Christ. It does not mean that from now on don't obey the law. All he's saying is, it's not the law that justifies you, it's Christ. Even your repentance doesn't justify you. Christ has to justify you and forgive you your sins. And repentance is toward God. And he's the one that has to forgive you, not the things that you do that forgive you. Ultimately, all the sacrifices wouldn't do you any good if God doesn't accept them. And that's what he's talking about here. And people who don't understand it totally misunderstand what he's talking about. Thinking, well, we don't need the law because we're ju being justified by faith, by Jesus Christ. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the fact that, ultimately speaking, even though when you obey the law, still, it's not the law that justifies you, but Christ does. But on the other hand, it doesn't mean they should not obey the law anymore. And so he says, 
Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. And the ignorant who do not know the entirety of the story think, aha, the law is done away with. And that's what he's talking about. Verse 17, But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ before minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which are destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. And so he's making it very plain. But it is the atonement of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ that takes away our sin, not all the sacrifices that we offer to God, which God demanded that we do. But all this time that God forgave us when we brought the sacrifices since the days of Moses did not purge our conscience. It is God who did it. And that's what he's talking about. That's the, the subject. The subject is whether you should keep the law or not. The subject is what is it that justifies us? And this is what the Gentiles were being ignorant who did not understand totally misunderstood that. And to this very day many in our midst totally misunderstand that. They don't understand the issue. And it is very plain. And God makes it very plain. Even the Apostle Paul later on makes it very plain. The law is holy and true and righteous. And people ought to obey the law of God. And don't say, you know, should not say the law is done away with because we are being justified by grace or by the faith of God. But understand that all of our obedience is not going to justify us, but we are commanded to be obedient, nevertheless. Because God is not going to justify anybody who is not obedient. But understand the matter here, the issue here, who justifies you ultimately? Is it your obedience to the law, or is it God himself? That's the matter here. And therefore, if God said to the gentle, well, you don't have to be circumcised and do certain things at this point, then he doesn't have to. Because ultimately, God is the one that justifies, not the things that the Gentile would do or would not do. And so it is the same with the Jew. And people that don't understand, understand it don't comprehend this issue. You've got to have the background, the totality of the story, to understand what Paul is talking about here. And the Gentiles, who did not have a background in the understanding of it, totally misunderstood him and thought, Aha, the law of God is done away with. We don't need any of that. Let's throw it out of the window. We'll just be justified by grace. And God says, No. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do? The things that I say. You've got to obey my commandments. If you want to enter into a life, keep the commandments. But understand at the same time, it's not the keeping of the commandments that will justify you. It's me, my sin, my, my uh, sacrifice for you that will atone for you. But don't use it as an excuse to say, well, the law is done away with and I don't have to, to keep it. And this is what the Gentiles did not understand. And the Jews were not too clear about the matter also, as it should have been. That all that they've done all this time to atone for their sins didn't do them any good if God did not accept it. So God is ultimately the one that atoned for them all along. And now, ultimately, when he gave his life, it is his body, his blood that atones for our sins. And if God is not going to, will, to forgive us, all the sacrifices in the world are not going to do us any good. And that's the issue here that he's making plain again. The some Jews still didn't understand it. And certainly many Gentiles later on did not understand it at all. And they began to teach, well, the law is done away with, because Paul said, you know, he's the founder of a new religion, new theology. We don't need to keep the law anymore. All we have to do is just be justified by faith, believe in Christ. That's why it was easy for Satan to deceive many, because they were not studying the law to be approved. They did not read the whole story. Many in our midst are guilty of the same thing. That's why it's easy for Satan to deceive us. That's why many of us went astray and went back to the old religion. 
Not seeing any difference, saying the law is done away with. We don't need to keep it. We're justified by faith. And so we continue the story here in uh, verse 19. Uh, for I thought the law died, for I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. In other words, the law demanded penalty. You see? That's why he said to the Romans, the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty of the law, of disobedience to the law. So he says, through the law I died to the law. Why? So that God may atone for my sins, not so that I may continue to disobey the law. And I am alive through God, but alive for what purpose? So I may continue to obey now God in the spirit, not only in the letter, but in the spirit. And know that he is the one that forgives my sins and iniquities. And that's why Paul later on is, is uh, well, actually earlier when he's speaking about the matter of the law, he says, you know, I know the things that the law says that I must do and I don't find myself doing it and I know what is good, I know what, what is uh, the will of God and yet I don't find myself doing it, I find myself being disobedient. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who deliver me from this body of sin and what is sin? Transgression of the law. But he's not talking about the doing will of the law. He's saying that when you obey God, then he will justify you and he's the one that justifies you but you better keep, uh, keep obeying God. But don't think that only through your obedience that you are going to be justified apart from God. And then verse 20 ends up by saying, I've been crucified with Christ. What is it that crucified Christ? Ultimately, sin, transgression of the law. So he says, I too was crucified. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does that mean? Now that you live by faith, you don't need to obey the law anymore? That's not what he's talking about. He said, now that I live by faith, I obey God. It's because Abraham lived by faith that he obeyed God. And he believed God and was counted to him for righteousness, not unrighteousness. Listen, the problem here is that many people do not understand the background of the Apostle Paul and the teachings of the Torah, and therefore they misunderstand his statements. Anyway, we're going to stop at this point. This is again Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all God's people until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.